Hi, I'm Gail from Europod. Before enjoying your podcast, allow me to say a few words about Europe Talks Back. In the third season of Europe Talks Back, I want to uncover the topics that matter or should matter to all of us. From gender to bodies and sex, digital to migration and urban landscapes, and everything in between. Rather than focusing on macro-level policies, let's zoom in and talk to the brave activists and volunteers with lived experience, who are working directly with marginalized communities to further equity, justice, and liberation for all. Okay, good. So Alessia, uh, in episode one, I am uh, having thoughts about the crisis of science in our societies of experts. People don't want to deal with experts anymore. They don't trust science necessarily. They say everything in a political way. It connects, if you want, to the hoaxes we have been living over the past few years with many issues. And then, you know, I kind of get this call that I need to deal with a project about citizen science, right? And I'm really wondering if citizen science can be an answer a bit also to this problem, but I need to understand what citizen science actually is. And this is what led me to you. Uh, okay, let's give me a moment. Exploring citizen science. Can research and society be reconnected? Episode 2, Into the Rabbit Hole. So, right now you might wonder, who's Alessia? Well, Alessia Smagnotto is the research coordinator of the COESO project. I already told you about in episode 1. As research coordinator of COESO, Alessia is responsible for the good implementation of the project and making sure the scientific objectives are fulfilled. Or, as she puts it to me on the phone... One colleague once said that I choreographed the whole thing, but I don't know if the real choreographers that are involved in the project will validate uh, this label. So we will come back later as to why Alessia mentions choreographers. But meanwhile, Alessia is Italian from Padua, a city in the northeast of Italy, but has lived in Paris since 2009. She has been working at the EHESS for eight years now. Small reminder, EHESS stands for the School of Advanced Studies in the Social Sciences and it's the leading organization behind COESO. Alessia's professional journey is one of those multidisciplinary paths you can find it hard to keep track of. Let's recap. Philosophy first, then... Philosophy first, then journalism, then sociology, and then philosophy again. Philosophy okay. of social science is just to close the circle. Anyhow, what matters is that Alessia is my main lead in my exploration of what citizen science actually is. So I annoyed her for some time to obtain this very long interview, which actually took place over two separate days at a week's distance, the one from the other. And I'm not even sure I will use it for this episode only, but so the thing is, Alessia herself did not encounter citizen science so long ago. She did approximately five years ago. I will tell you later how and why, but meanwhile, it's time to ask the mother of all questions. What is citizen science? 
So Alessia defines citizen science as an umbrella term. But for what? All these activities that are gathered under the umbrella term of citizen science have one thing in common, a conscious acknowledgement to varied degrees of non-academic knowledge in performing a research activity. Right. So I told Alessia that this still sounded quite complicated to me, so she made the effort to make it a bit clearer or to express it in her own words. With my own words, citizen science, that within COESO we rather call participatory research, is a research practice oriented toward solving a common research problem a common research problem shared among professional researchers, mainly belonging to the academic research community, and participants or contributors that take an active role in the research process. So this is how I would define citizen science. Fair enough, but how is this different from science as generally understood? For some, citizen science is a new paradigm in research. For others, it is just the resurfacing of traditional practices of research. Both positions uh, say something true. It is a new paradigm because we would have not needed to coin a new word if nothing happened that separated science from society. So at one point, something happened and professional researchers appeared And uh, it was kind of division of labor that made uh, some specific group that are uh, oriented, they do it professional research and other people that uh, are specialized in other social activities. And uh, before this division of labor, people were uh, at the same time researchers and other things in society. Now, listen carefully to this, because this is where it all becomes interesting I mean, it was already, but this is how it becomes and where it becomes interesting, really, at least to me. When you talk about this division of labor, is it something, you, you mean something historical which happened when, or is it something you, you mean recently happened inside the scientific field, in your opinion? Well, it happens somewhere in between the 19th century and the 20th century. Okay. And it is more uh, studied uh, starting from the 20th century. So, in relation to what you have just heard from Alessia, during our chat, the name of a French philosopher popped up. His name was Bruno Latour. There is this long read from 2018 on the New York Times by Eva Kaufmann. I found googling his name. The article is both about the legacy of Latour and his thought. I will put the link in the show notes so you can check that out. Anyhow, through Ava Kaufman's article, I understood that Latour, who was born in 1948 and just died in 2022, revolutionized the understanding of the relationship between facts, science, and what we, as society and individuals part of the latter, consider to be true. Simplifying a lot, and I know that here I will get all the hatred from philosophers probably, Latour argued that scientific research can only be as recognized and, generally speaking, accepted as much as it is networked into a web of institutional relationships. Meaning, the truthfulness itself of a research outcome is not a sufficient condition for 
that very same result to become something that is collectively by society considered as a recognized knowledge. Here comes an extract from the article of Ava Kaufman from the New York Times, paraphrasing Latour's thought. This is an AI voice again. It has become clear that whether or not a statement is believed depends far less on its veracity than on the conditions of its construction, that is, who is making it, to whom it's being addressed and from which institutions it emerges and is made visible. Crucially, the first works of Latour were interpreted as a strong critique of the posture scientific researchers were holding in the face of society. Here comes Another extract from Ava Kaufmann's long form, which explains pretty well the thing, in my opinion. Latour believes that if scientists were transparent about how science really functions, as a process in which people, politics, institutions, peer review, and so forth all play their parts, they would be in a stronger position to convince people of their claims. In other terms, Latour basically deconstructed the idea of a science isolated from society allowing to see more easily the process of professionalization of science. But let me come back to my interview with Alessia. So instead of talking about Latour himself, Alessia stressed the importance of the new academic discipline Latour was an important recognized contributor to. And this discipline is called Science and Technology Studies or STS. So instead of talking of Latour, I will talk about a whole field that is called science and technology studies that started to understand how science is made, how we build research endeavor, who are the actors who promotes and run this research. And this led to disclose a bit the black box of research practices and research factory. Mm -hmm. And uh, this led to the identification of, uh, of a moment between the, the end of the 19th and the beginning of the 20th, where the laboratories or the places where the research was made became closed. But uh, apparently it didn't last for long. <laughs> and uh, early in the middle of the 20th, the researchers came back to ask for a um, the opening of research process again, especially in the, not only in the humanities, but there was a, a part that was called public humanities. Now I'm doing a, a total improvisation, so I will not be happy with uh, how I, I'm telling the story. I reassured Alessia that it was totally fine and most importantly useful to understand what happened indeed. But You know, researchers, they are never happy about their performance. Anyhow, so it is on the bulk of this process or, and here I'm picking on Alessia's choice of words, public research moment that in the 90s, right when Latour was making his way into the well-known figures of philosophy of science, that the concept of engagement with society took a central stage. Let me give you some more of Alessia here. What is interesting with the public research is... Uh, these two ways to understand the opening to the public of the research practice. On one side, there was the public understanding of science. So the idea that people need to understand better what is science, what, is, what are its results, and what are the process. The other point is the public engagement with science. And uh, it started around 1990, in the 90s, 
with the, the attention on how the people, for example, uh, farmers that have uh, local knowledge about the territories, uh, about the land and the growing of plants, for example, have local knowledge of what is happening, for instance, with after the Chernobyl disaster, and how they can contribute and provide this knowledge to researchers. So this is what was called the public engagement with the science, because in this part of the story, we started a knowledge the knowledge coming from non-professional researchers, how they can contribute to understanding what is happening at one moment in the history. So let's pause here for a minute and recap. First, the appearance of the science and technology studies discipline and the emergence of Latour in the second half of the 20th century brought about a better understanding of how science throughout history had been, at different times, more or less of an open practice. Second, on the bulk of the latter sociological reflections in the mid-90s of the past century, a vibrant push for more public engagement in science took place. It is somehow, on the basis of this breakthrough, of the concept of public engagement that also the notion of citizen science gained traction. Which translates into this idea, as Alessia explained at the very start of the episode, that the research process can and should be opened to non-formal scientific actors. Let me stretch this. This sounds a bit like democratizing science. It's not democratizing science in the sense we understand democracy in the common language. So it's not about uh, voting, no, sure <laughs> giving not. a vote to what is the best scientific solution. It's uh, making science a common endeavor and something that is a common good. But I have the feeling that if you recognize that there is knowledge which is, which is relevant to science which comes from local practices, so potentially even from someone who has not even the basics of science, right? That they can have an impact on how we define what is generally considered to be the highest understanding of how things work in our societies. I mean, when we say science, there's automatically to that word attached a really strong meaning because science and the general knowledge And it's wrong, but there's something to it comes really close to truth, no? I mean, the results of science is an approximation of our attempts, at least, to get close to the truth. It's a controlled knowledge. So something that we are able to retrace trace back how it has been built in order to save or replicate the methodology, to check uh, how we came to these results. And in this way, we come to a shared result that has been acknowledged by, that can be acknowledged by several people through the trust in the process that has been put into practice. So at this stage of the interview, I asked Alessia about the potential citizen science could have for society, if it really matters in the end, and if it can have an impact on the collective disillusion we see many people have towards scientific knowledge and expertise, which is the very reason why I find all of this so interesting and relevant to be inquired. This is what I got from Alessia. 
for me, the most important things that citizen science is bringing to research, what the citizen science movement uh, is reminding all, is that science the intended as a reflective research practice. So this uh, process of uh, being able to retrace the research uh, endeavor. So science is a common good we have to take care of. Mm-hmm and to which everyone can contribute at uh, its own scale. And uh, it's really about uh, finding the best way to share solid knowledge, so solid in the sense that it's a common knowledge that we can trustfully Mm -hmm. uh, rely on. And if we understand that, I think that citizen science is really doing uh, something fundamental to reconnect uh, everyone to research. Coming up next on Exploring Citizen Science. All the stakeholders, either professional researchers or not, participate at all stages of the research, from the problem definition to the methodology settling to the analysis of the data collected. All the research process is commonly implemented by every partners of the collaboration. Beautiful. And this is cohesion. And this is cohesion. Wonderful. Do you want to hear more podcasts that get to the bottom of things that stand out in the ambient noise? Join Europod. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and our newsletter. Follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. Discover our brand new website at www.europod.eu. And join us in our fight. Europod. Clear the noise. Start to listen.